Welcome to a special edition of the NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter from The Athletic. I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor at The Athletic. And we are here after the first wave of NFL free agency. So no, we don't have a new NFL Power Rankings coming out right now. But we are going to today rank some of our favorite and our least favorite moves through the first wave of free agency. We want to put it out there that we are recording this at about 1.15 Eastern time on Thursday afternoon. So we're going to be talking about the deals that were agreed to during the negotiating period on Monday and Tuesday and the first wave of deals that kind of came down. Down when the league year opened on Wednesday and into Thursday morning. So, you know, there, there's a lot of deals that haven't been formally announced yet because of a weird NFL rule that they have rolled back on Thursday um, that I think we'll get into a little bit later. So we're going to talk about the deals that kind of have uh, have already gone down that we've reported at The Athletic that have been reported elsewhere um, and, uh, and as, as well as some trades. So, um, Amy, how are you feeling about the, the first wave of free agency before we get into this list? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty wild. It's just been a very weird few days of like the rest of the world's completely stopping and the NFL just going full force, uh, crazier than ever with all these things that are going on. So that kind of dynamic has been even weirder this year. So but yeah, I mean, there have been some uh, some really big moves. And I liked a lot of them. And I did not like a lot of them, especially one, which we will talk about. Later. Yeah, we're going to get into that. So we're going to get into our um, our favorite moves first because if you're longtime listeners, you know that we're our, we are a cheery group, glass half full. So let's look at our favorite moves. So I'm going to start, and um, our number five move, one of my my kind of sneaky underrated moves, is what the Broncos have been doing, and that's the Jarrell Casey trade from Tennessee to Denver. And um, I graded this trade for the Athletic on Thursday or on Wednesday morning when it first went down. And what I like about it is that this was a very clear need for the Broncos. They let their um, kind of their, their, their top interior lineman, um, Shelby Harris, Derek Wolf, who's a defensive end, who's kind of played inside outside. They're letting those guys hit the open market. So they very clearly needed to address their defensive line, their run defense, their interior pass rush. And, you know, they're, they're going to have to pay a lot for Gerald Casey. He's going to make almost $12 million in 2020. Um, Five and a half million dollars of that contract becomes guaranteed in the next couple of days. But this was a very, very serious sign that that they're very serious about remaking this defense. Um, and they're using the trade market to do so. They already earlier this year, tra- or earlier this offseason traded for AJ Bouye, and he's going to be the replacement for Chris Harris Jr., who left in free agency. Um, it's interesting that they... You know, the Broncos let some of their kind of core pieces go. They let Chris Harris go. They let Derek Wolf go. These were the last remaining ties that they had to that Super Bowl defense from 2015 and are completely kind of remaking this defense. The one guy that they are choosing to keep is safety Justin Simmons. They put the franchise tag on him. He's become very much a core player. He was their Walter Payton Man of the Year um, nominee last year. So, you know, it's just it's a it's a whole new era in Denver and there's for the first time in a while, I live here in Denver. It's the first time there's actually been some like legit optimism, I think, you know, that they can actually build something good. And, you know, they're a team that I think could actually benefit from the expanded playoffs. Like, I think they're still a ways away from, you know, knocking off uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But, you know, I, I think these are really some really smart moves and they had money to spend and I think they're spending it wisely. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what this kind of shows, right, is John Elway has a seems to have a plan here in place of what he wants to do with this defense in particular, and he's he's executing that plan. And I think that this makes a lot of sense according to that plan. And you know, he knows, as you said, it's a new era. It's kind of the Drew Lock era within the Broncos with the Broncos right now. And he knows that he's going to need to bulk up the defense in order to make that work. So uh, I think it's it's smart for them, uh, and it makes sense they didn't have to. Uh, the Titans, you know, it makes a little bit less sense. For them, but you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good move for Denver. So, number four on our list of the best moves uh, in this free agency period, we have one that actually I think just went through this morning. It's Darius Slay to the Eagles. So, Detroit reportedly uh, got Philadelphia's third round pick, fifth round pick in this year's draft, and then Slay has a three year extension with the Eagles through 2023. Um, so, that includes $30 million guaranteed reportedly. So, that's a lot of money. That's a big deal, but it's also a huge need for the Eagles and Slay's a really, really good player. Um, they've been trying to get some other cornerbacks for a while, uh, like Ramsey, but you know, Slay might be almost as good of a player anyway. He's good in man coverage. The value there is better. Um, he had 19 career, has 19 career interceptions, uh, including a league leading eight picks in 2017. So I think what the Eagles are, are hoping for is that they'll get that kind of shutdown corner in Slay. What we do need to consider here when we're kind of evaluating this is, and Shiel, uh, Capadia wrote this in his grade, um, is that Slay is now, uh, going to be the highest paid cornerback in the NFL for at his age, which is going to be 30, 31 and 32 seasons, his age 30, 31 and 32 seasons. So that's pretty expensive for someone who's on the older end. And, you know, the Eagles have been trying to get young or saying they want to get younger. And then they went and kind of, they they brought on uh, Slay and in this large deal, so that's something to consider. You know, if it works out, if he ends up being a, a true shutdown corner uh, and plays at a ridiculously high level, then it doesn't matter, and then it's definitely worth it. But that is something to consider when we kind of evaluate the trade. But overall, I think it is something that they needed and they wanted to kind of make a splash by doing it. And I think in that regard, it makes sense. Yeah, and I think this is something that the Eagles have been considering for a, a really long time. Like you mentioned, Amy, they have been kind of sniffing around cornerbacks for a while. I mean, they were, you know, one of the teams that was really linked to Jalen Ramsey last year. You know, I think, you know, I think they looked at uh, Byron Jones when free agency opened. I think they were actually really active in trying to see if they could get Darius Slay last year before the trade deadline. Um, And now, you know, here's a guy who is probably just as good as any of the quarterbacks that are available, cornerbacks, excuse me, and um, in, in this position they really needed. So um, let's move into offense. We haven't gotten to talk offense much yet. So our number three move that we really like from this early wave of free agency is Philip Rivers, the former longtime in uh, San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers quarterback heading to Indianapolis. Um, it's a one-year contract with the Colts for $25 million. Um, and so he's going in there to be the Colts kind of bridge quarterback. I mean, I imagine this is kind of a year-to-year thing where if, you know, if he plays great at age 38, then, you know, maybe they want to sign him to another one-year deal. But, you know, for the short term, this was, you know, it just makes so much sense. I mean, I don't think you can look at Indianapolis right now and say they've solved their long-term quarterback uh, quarterback situation. But, you know, when you considered all of Philip Rivers' options 
since his divorce with the Chargers was kind of announced uh, in February when they announced that like that they were not going to re-sign Rivers, you looked at what was out there. And, you know, I think there were a lot of dots potentially connecting him to Tampa, given that his style would probably fit with Bruce Arians a little bit and the fact that he was moving his family to Florida. But there was just so much to like about the Colts. You know, the, the division, I think, is very favorable. He's got a long relationship with Frank Reich, um, dating back to when they, you know, they had a couple stints together with the Chargers. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Um, and they needed they needed a, a veteran presence there. You know, I think they needed a smart guy. They needed a guy who can get rid of the ball really quickly. Um, and this gives them a lot of flexibility that they can still draft a quarterback this year. They don't necessarily have to do it there with their first round draft pick, which um now they don't have a first round draft pick, but they, you know, they can do it at some point and have a guy who they could potentially develop now, but behind Phillip Rivers. So, you know, I think we also um Amy, what do you think about the DeForest Buckner trade? Because I just mentioned they don't have a first round pick. They sent that to the, for, to the Niners. Um, but so what do you, what do you think about what, you know, the Rivers move and then maybe the DeForest Buckner trade kind of looking at the yeah. big picture? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was a great move for what they're clearly trying to do right now, which I, I think they see a window that's open for them. And I think the window got a lot wider with what Houston ended up doing because that division is kind of open now. And I think that the Colts are putting themselves in position. I think, they see themselves as a team that is built to be successful. You know, they started off really well last year, uh, you know, and then kind of with the, even in the, with the suddenness of what happened with, with Andrew Luck. Um, and they were built to win with Andrew Luck. And I'm not saying that Philip Rivers at age 38 is equivalent to what Andrew Luck would have been if he was healthy, but they do have, you know, a quarterback that hope, uh, they're hoping won't make too many mistakes. Uh, he's a veteran. He knows kind of how to control the game. He brings that veteran leadership there. And now to bolster their defense in the way they are by getting to Forrest Buckner, it's, it, these are two like pretty big splashy moves. And I think they're doing that because they really feel that they, they're putting themselves in positions to be serious contenders and, I think that they are like, I, I think that they are in, they have a, a road for the AFC South now, particularly with the way things played out um, elsewhere, in, yeah. especially with Houston. I mean, I love, I'm just, I love DeForest Buckner as a player. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it's, it's tough to see him leave San Francisco, but the Niners are kind of in that situation now where they can't pay everybody on that, that defensive line. And, you know, DeForest Buckner was the guy who was tradable given that he was going into his fifth year. Um, he had his fifth year option. So he was tradable. There was somebody they could get back and they got a first round pick for him, but he is such a special player. He's um, a really good interior rusher. And now the, uh, now the Colts, excuse me, have, you know, one of the best defensive tackles and not, he's not like a, you know, when you think of a defensive tackle days of old, like he's not that, you know, hulking, you know, 320 pound notes, nose tackle style defensive tackle. He's just like this ridiculously like cut up athletic, like six foot seven, just beast. And he's going to be such a good player there in the middle of the defense for the Colts. So I love that move for them, even though they're going to have to pay him a lot and they had to give up a first round pick for it. Um, but that's yeah. So that's that. So Amy, let's move into our um, our next uh, next favorite move. Yeah. So number two, another uh, veteran quarterback who was on the market this year. It's the Tom Brady move uh, to the Buccaneers. We were waiting. You know, by uh, by the end, we kind of knew it was going to be between two teams. It was either going to be the Bucks or it was going to be the Chargers. It ended up being the Bucks. Um, so he's going to t- uh, pair up with Bruce Arians. Um, this is a great move for the Bucks, <laughs> I think, because. Uh, 
I mean, business is already booming there. We already are seeing reports that if you went to the Bucks website to try to get season tickets, they're experiencing a, a like an unprecedented wait in line. And it's going to drive interest. People are going to be excited. People are going to go to the games. You know, I think any team that got him, I think that's why the Chargers were hoping to get him. That's what they wanted, too. They wanted business. They wanted to fill seats. Um, and, you know, he has weapons there. He has weapons in Tampa, uh, potentially some of the best weapons he's had in his career. Um and I think, you know, he has a, another great coach now in terms of someone who obviously is kind of a quarterback guru. He's, they're going to, I, I believe that Arians and Brady will work pretty well together. Um, Adam Schefter also tweeted this morning that an unexpectedly high number of players have reached out to the Buccaneers to let them know they want to join the former Patriots quarterback there. So, you know, who even knows? what that means, who those people are, how far they can build this out. You know, the interest is obviously going to be really high now. People are going to want to play with him. I think the questions that we have, Lindsay, like talking about this is more about Brady. <laughs> like, is this the right place for him to to win another title? If that's what his main goal is, I'm not totally sure it is. Um, I, I don't know that that's the ideal spot. Like, he's going to have weapons. He has Arians. But the Bucks don't exactly have a powerhouse team or, you know, a winning culture. Um, and, you know, even with Brady, I don't think the Bucks are the favorite in the NFC South over the Saints. Uh, and, you know, if he wasn't going to stay in New England, I was expecting him to go to L.A. just because I thought that his post-football career is likely to bring him there anyway. Um, so I thought he might want to get a jump on getting his family out there. But I was clearly wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think for him, it's, it's a little confusing. It's for me to totally comprehend. I think I would just, I was still kind of surprised that he left the Patriots, not shocked, but still relatively surprised. But, um, you know, for Tampa, it's, it's great news. They're going to fill seats. People are going to be really excited. Um, and having the weapons that he has and the, the Arians Brady connection, it, it'll be fun to watch. Like we'll definitely be tuning in. Yeah, I mean, this is huge for the like the entire Tampa Bay region. Um, Greg Almond and I talked about this in a podcast that we recorded on Tuesday afternoon, kind of right when this news was breaking. And um, and Greg has written a lot about this for the athletic um, Tampa site um, in the last day or so about kind of what this all means for the Bucks organization and kind of that whole area in terms of ticket sales and all that stuff that, that you already kind of mentioned, Amy. Um, and, you know, I... You know, I wrote about this, you know, my whole, I'm looking at this through the lens of what happened with Peyton Manning when he came to Denver. Um, and the situations were a little bit different. Obviously, um, Peyton Manning had been released and was kind of coming off an, of an injury. But I think we're going to see a lot of the same things happen in Tampa in terms of the expectations rising within the building and other players wanting to come play there. Um, and, you know, he's going to walk into that building whenever it is that he's allowed to, whether that's on April 1st or May 1st or July 1st. I mean, at, at some point, he'll be able to come into that building and he's going to immediately raise the expectations for every single person who's associated with that Bucks organization. Um, you know, Tom Brady has won five of his Super Bowls since the uh, since the Bucks last won a playoff game. You know, he expects to be in the playoffs every single year. And while yes, I think that the best football fit for him would have been staying in New England. You know, I think they would have if he would have come back, I still think they would have been the favorites in the AFC East even with some of the deficiencies that they have on offense and the problems that they had last year. 
Um, but you know, now it's really the, the hard work has to begin where they have to, you know, start working on building this offense and figuring how much of it are they taking from what he did in Tampa? How much is Brady going to adapt to what Arians has always done and figuring out exactly how this is going to work for everybody. But, you know, I'm excited to watch it. I think it'll be really interesting. Um, I would love, I, you know, I would also direct everybody to read, um, Shail Kapadia's piece that, um, that he wrote that posted Thursday morning. He did a really analytical deep dive into to what Brady might have left, um, you know, what his accuracy numbers look like when you really break everything down with his, um, you know, expected completion percentages and all of the really analytical look. It's a really, really smart piece. So that's on, that's live at The Athletic um, right now from Shields. So, you know, I like the move for Tampa, question it for Tom Brady. Um, but now let's move into our number one, uh, our number one favorite move. Um, Amy, you want to lead us into this one? Yes. So this, uh, the kind of the team I've been mentioning cryptically all uh, podcasts so far is Houston. And the team on the other half of that is Arizona. And they're half of the fact that they now have DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and so their play here is clear, right? They're building long term around Kyler Murray. Um, and they did two things really well here. They found a trade partner for David Johnson. Um, and they brought on one of the best receivers in the league uh in in exchange for him and so this is huge for them obviously to give murray that kind of weapon of that caliber right now um is is a, a potentially like a, a franchise changing move if if kyler murray ends up kind of being the player that they hope that he that he is and so you know they were able to to send uh johnson to houston and get back hopkins who now also counts 14 million dollars against the cap um and they're going to have to pay Hopkins, but they clearly knew that when they were making this deal. And so they now have Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, and Christian Kirk uh, to give Murray some help. And so I think that suddenly the they went from a team that was exciting to watch last year because of Murray to a team that is going to be extremely exciting to watch this year because it's going to be the Murray to Hopkins connection. Uh I think it's a great and an incredible move for them. The fact that they didn't have to give up more is mind boggling, but we'll get to that later. Lindsay, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, we're we're looking at this right now strictly from the Arizona perspective, and you know, it's funny how it all kind of went down on Monday. Uh, I guess it was Monday afternoon, um, and the first the first part of it was the Cardinals are trading David Johnson, and that mm-hmm. was shocking enough because his contract really looked like it was untradeable. You know, it really looked like it was just so onerous and like, how would they possibly get out of this? They, you know, if they were going to be able to, to get rid of him, they would need to find somebody to take on um, probably, or that they would have to, you know, eat some of that salary. And instead they found a trade partner in the Texans to not only take David Johnson, but to take his entire salary. So immediately this looked like a home run deal for, for um, Steve Keim and for, um, the Arizona Cardinals, because I just didn't think there was any way possible that they were going to be able to get out from under that deal. And, you know, this was a guy who really had, you know, David Johnson had disappeared from their offense. You know, I, I think you could discuss why that happened and if that was a smart move. But, you know, they had found his replacement in Kenyon Drake. They um, they put a tender on Drake to keep him in Arizona. So it made a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden you realize that they're getting DeAndre Hopkins 
uh, in return. And yes, they're going to have to pay him at some point, and that's going to happen. Um, but that's something that they accounted for when making this deal. And you know, you're planning for the short term. You know, their their offense is going to be immediately better in 2020 when you have that when you add DeAndre Hopkins to it, and they're going to be better long term because you know Larry Fitzgerald. This is probably going to be his last year. Um, and now you have like the guy to be the leader of your wide receiver room for the indefinite future in DeAndre Hopkins and a guy who really can kind of take that mantle over from Larry Fitzgerald. So, um, you know, home run moves, I think, for the Cardinals financially on the field. It just, you know, they they really needed to do something to make themselves really relevant in the NFC West. And uh, they, 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 they did it. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this move and um, really great job by Steve Keim, who really needed, he needed this. He needed a big free agent, free agent splash. And um, these are smart moves. I mean, you know, the toughest thing I think about free agency is that it's so rare that, you know, really good players become available. I mean, the best moves usually are re-signing your own players and the teams that succeed in the offseason are the ones who aren't going out and spending a ton of money. But when a guy like DeAndre Hopkins becomes available and you're able to get him for, you know, immediately, they count the same amount against the salary cap, David Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins. That's, I mean, that's the, that's a really brilliant move. So those are our top five, our, our favorite moves. So now we're going to get, we're going to run real quickly through our least favorite moves that we've seen so far. So Amy, which is your number five move that, um, something that's happened this week that you're not so excited about? Yeah, so pretty much anything Matt Patricia has been doing, which is mostly, as he always does, is just stockpiling former Patriots. Those are like, that's all he does, all he seems to do. Um, and Chris Burke wrote a, a good piece on this that discusses kind of the Lions patriot-esque approach to their team which is they're getting rid of players that they don't think fit anymore regardless of you know what guys think of them in the locker room what the fans think how beloved they are which is which is probably a good thing for an organization to operate by but in the case of what matt patricia has been doing some of this has been (laughs) has not made a lot of sense because you know obviously like they got rid of darius slay today right they're just getting rid of people and they're bringing in old patriots because they believe that those guys are are kind of the standards that they want to follow, even if they don't make a ton of sense or they don't provide the same value that they could have on the patriots. And so Chris Burke wrote, um, I'll just read you from his his piece because I I think it it makes a lot of sense. He says, this is the catch 22 of all of those coaching tree hires. Of course, everyone wants a piece of Belichick's operation, but no one is ever going to grab that same lightning in a bottle. There needs to be some flexibility, some creativity for any like minded approach to work outside of Foxborough. Do the Lions have enough of that to give themselves a shot? I'm not sure we have the complete answer to that question yet, but the returns to date aren't promising. So that's, and that's kind of the core of it, right? It's like they've shown no creativity or flexibility in what they're doing. They just keep going by the Patriot way and bringing in these new Patriot players and, and getting rid of other guys. And, and they're not really building a team that makes a ton of sense or, or kind of works together. And so that's kind of the major problem with what Matt, how Matt Patricia has been operating so far. And for, for years, I mean, this, Matt Patricia is not the first guy to have fallen into this trap as a, as a former Bill Belichick assistant. Um, but, I don't care how good your relationship with Bill Belichick was when you guys worked together um, or how much you respect him or how much he tells you that he likes you and wants you to succeed. He's not getting rid of guys that he thinks can still play at a really high level. (laughs) You know, he's keeping those guys. You know, he didn't trade. He didn't make 
Devin McCourty avail. You know, they kept yeah. Devin McCourty. And <laughs> that one of the things that, you know, even when we're considering this Tom Brady situation too, is that Belichick is ruthless and he will always get rid of a guy a year too early. Um, then a year too late, and he will move on from guys that he doesn't believe can help them right away. And, you know, so if if Bill Belichick is making these guys available, and he's not choosing to resign them, um, there's there's a reason. And, you know, you would think that the that the Lions might have learned their lesson the year before when they, you know, they paid kind of a record setting contract at the time for Trey Flowers and didn't really pan out right away. But here they go. And I just feel I just kind of feel bad for Lions fans. I mean, I do my weekly Q&A was for subscribers. And every week I get the most despondent questions from Lions fans. Like I really should compile them all because it's just so rough to be in March and for them to just be so depressed. And I just can't imagine. Look, I mean, they, they might be some of these guys might be fine. Like, but I just the the entire approach yeah, is it's just the whole it's premise, like the whole me. idea yeah. of what they're doing and how they refuse to kind of stray away from it is what's kind of maddening. So, all right, Lindsay, what do we have at number four? All right, so I've got so I'm going to go with um, the Dolphins and their deal to sign Byron Jones, the cornerback formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, and from a football perspective. It, it's awesome. If you just think about what their the Dolphins secondary is going to look like right now with Byron Jones on one side and Xavier Howard on the other, you know, that's really attractive. And that's um, kind of like we mentioned, this is a very Patriot style um, building process that we're seeing from uh, from Brian Flores in that you try to build kind of from the back in, you know, you build the best secondary that you can and then hope that that can, um, you know, help your pass rush stand up when you have really good coverage. Um, why I don't love this deal is because they're, they now have two of the three highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL. They're, they're paying both Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, um, like over $16 million a year each. I mean, that's a huge allocation of resources to one position. And that's something that you can do if you're going to have a quarterback on a rookie contract, which they likely will. Um, in addition to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's kind of a, a lower priced veteran quarterback, quarterback. But, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, you know, I've always been really excited about what the Dolphins' plan was going to be as they rebuild, and I'm just not sure if the pumping all of your money into one position is is the plan that I love. You know, the other moves that they've made so far, they signed a former Patriot linebacker, Kyle Van Noy, Brian Flores going into that Patriots well as well, um, offensive lineman Eric Flowers, which is, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> pass rusher Shaq Lawson, formerly of the Bills. So, you know, they've been making some moves. They obviously have to make a lot of moves. I mean, they've been the most active team as far as transactions over the last year. Uh you know, they were kind of a surprise team getting into that cornerback market for Byron Jones, though, because they already had one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the yeah. NFL. So that's my question. I know there's some really smart football people who love the decision. Lewis Riddick from the uh, from ESPN, who I respect a ton, loves it. He called it his favorite move. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I just it's just a, from a value standpoint and from a cap management standpoint, I'm just not sure if I understand it. Yeah. And I mean, I think to your point, it's like, great, they're they're building a team, right? They're trying to figure out what their future is going to look like. And they're kind of they they have a lot of moves to make to do that and kind of honing in on the cornerback position and filtering a ton of money into that one position doesn't really make a ton of sense on the surface. Um, especially when you know, they're, they're going to have a rookie quarterback or they'll have Fitzpatrick and a, and a rookie quarterback, assuming and, and you know, they'll want to give the, that rookie weapons and kind of help that person grow whoever that is. Um, and so, you know, kind of, 
putting a ton of their money right now in cornerbacks uh, is, yeah, it, it is a little confusing to see, but you know, maybe it'll work out. We'll see. Um, so number three on our list is just one that we were just kind of totally meh about, which is Nick Foles to the Bears. So obviously we kind of knew that Chicago was going to be looking for somebody because at this point they need to give uh, Mitch Trubisky some competition. But overall, like it's just kind of underwhelming. I think we both kind of feel like it's not that exciting at all. And we're not sure that that's, you know, going to necessarily either push Trubisky to be the best he can be or provide them with a, a really great starting quarterback should Foles have to come in. You know, um, I think our, our, our colleague Shiel, um, gave them a B, uh, who, and he described Nick Foles as a high variance player. Um, and, you know, that's kind of optimistic if Foles is healthy, um, which we don't know. Uh, and, you know, in the meantime, the Jags only get a fourth round pick right after they signed Foles to a ginormous contract and overpaid him. Um, so, yeah, I think our kind of reaction to this is just the Bears. You know, they could have potentially done something else <laughs> that would have been more exciting or potentially a better fit. But instead, they kind of have Nick Foles coming in to just try to pressure Trubisky. And we're just we don't think it's that great of a move for really anyone. Yeah, I think it's some kind of weird mixed messaging where, you know, so what are you saying to the rest of your team? So is Nick Foles going to be your starter? Is it going to be an open competition? You know, I think Nick Foles should be able to beat out Mitch Trubisky, but I don't know if it's going to be a fair competition. You know, some of the other options I think that were out there, you know, very early in the week, they were kind of rumored that they were looking at Teddy Bridgewater. You know, I think Andy Dalton was the other, another guy in the trade market who would have made a lot of sense, you know, and he, you know, if, if if part of the reason that you connected the dots with Nick Foles to the Bears is the familiarity because um, Matt Nagy had him in Kansas City and Bill Lazor coached him his first stint with the Eagles and John Filippo worked with him in Philadelphia and Jacksonville. So there's a lot of connections there. But Bill Lazor also coached Andy Dalton. Um, their court, you know, he's their offensive coordinator now in Chicago. So, you know, I guess it's just this message where it's OK, here's a guy who could be better, but I'm not sure if he is better. And you know, you know, I just want better for the Bears in general at their quarterback position. And I'm just not sure if this is the move that really kind of moves the needle for the Bears at all. So I'm very meh about it. And we'll see. I don't I don't know. I don't know how much better they are. You know, I think at the at, at his peak, you know, if Foles is playing like he did in the postseason and well, I guess what was that the 2017 postseason, then that's awesome. But we've also seen him play very poorly for stretches. And we've also seen him get injured very frequently when he has been starting. So um, I just don't love it all around. So, all right, we're going to move. We've got another trade as our number two least favorite move so far. And um, that's the, the from the Buffalo side, it's the trade for Stefan Diggs, the wide receiver formerly of the Minnesota Vikings. And um, the reason that I'm not in love with this deal is just because the Bills really gave up a lot. You know, they gave up four draft picks, a first, a fifth, a sixth, and a 2021 fourth rounder. So that's just a lot of draft capital to, to give up for one receiver and Stefan Diggs. And we get it that the Bills have really been in the wide receiver market for a long time. I mean, it was this time last year where they almost had a deal for Antonio Brown in the works that fell apart in the middle of the night for um, a myriad of reasons. Uh, but that's just, it's just a lot, especially when you compare it to what the, the compensation was for DeAndre Hopkins and that trade with Arizona and Houston. So I, I guess I just am not sure 
if it's great value for the Vikings or a great value, excuse me, for the Bills. I think it's great value for the Vikings. I think they did a really good job in getting four draft picks in return for a guy who clearly was not happy there. I didn't think they would have that much leverage to get that much in, in trade for him. So, you know, I think the thing to watch now is one, what does this mean for the Bills draft plans? You know, I, I think they, this is a really deep wide receiver draft and I would expect that this doesn't pull them out of the market there. I expect that they would, will still continue trying to add wide receivers through the draft. Um, and then the other side of that is how long is Stefan Diggs going to be happy? And, you know, when he's happy, he's awesome. And he's one of my favorite players to watch. And he's, you know, can be a really good teammate, but he also can um, be quite temperamental, both on the sideline and on social media, and expresses displeasure. And I think our, our Vikings guys, uh, RF and Chad Graf have gotten very used to kind of trying to like diagnose um, Stefan Diggs's tweets and trying to figure out if this is him really demanding a trade, or if he's happy or un- unhappy, and then, you know, do a lot of you know, every time that he's talking to a quarterback on the sidelines, you know, kind of Zapruder film breaking down what's exactly happening here. So at some point, there's going to be drama with him. You know, if he's not getting the ball enough from Josh Allen, or if Josh Allen is missing him on deep routes, um, and how are the Bills going to navigate that? So that those are my big questions and why I'm not necessarily in love with this trade from a Buffalo perspective. Yeah. And I mean, I think when you look at it from the Vikings perspective, like it just looks so much more promising, right? They they not only no longer have to deal with kind of the predictable and ongoing digs drama, but they also now they got first round, fifth round, sixth round picks uh, this year, plus then a 2021 fourth rounder. So that's a huge haul. And, you know, the, the wide receiver class this year in this draft is, is pretty loaded. It's pretty strong. So they could use one of those to, to bulk up on receivers that way and, and get kind of digs off their plate now. So it makes a lot of sense for them. And for the Bills, kind of I agree with what you said, Lindsay. Like, it just seems like a lot to give up for potentially a situation that could come become untenable if if it kind of continues in, in the way that he's shown in the past and that position for someone like Josh Allen is still pretty young and what that the effect that that could have um you know who knows what that's going to end up looking like but i think they the bills clearly kind of see themselves as contenders and they they thought they think that this move is going to push that further and they probably think that they have a, a good chance of winning the AFC East so We'll see how it goes. And so now we are on to our number one pick. And uh, Lindsay, do you want to do the honors here of reading out what we have written in all caps lock in the Google Talk? Sure. Yeah, I have it in all caps here. WTF is Bill <laughs> O'Brien doing? So what the blank is Bill O'Brien doing? And I think that's something that everybody around the NFL has been wondering since Monday afternoon when uh, he decided to trade away DeAndre Hopkins in exchange for David Johnson and his entire salary and basically like some later mid mid to late round draft pick trades as well. So, you know, for Hopkins, Texans are going to receive a second round pick, a 2021 fourth round pick and all of the remaining money on the three year, thirty nine million dollar contract extension that Johnson signed um, with the Cardinals in September 2018. And we, we already mentioned about how you know, we were talking about the Cardinals side of this, that. David Johnson's contract should not have been tradable and should not have been tradable in in its entirety. Um, he should have been able to get the Cardinals to pay some of that money, but they're not. And I think just the hardest part is to understand right here is that Bill Bryan, I mean, he since he became the acting general manager um, about a year ago, not quite a year ago, he's pulled off seven trades. And that's a lot of wheeling and dealing for a guy who doesn't have a lot of prior personnel experience. And you know, he's he's traded away Jadavion Clowney already. He pulled off that big trade to um, 
to get Laramie Tunsil, to get Kenny Stills. You know, he traded, he's loves, he love, obviously loves trading for running backs. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me about what he's doing. And, um, I was on a, a podcast the other day and was asked, um, what what's going on inside Bill O'Brien's head? And I was like, I do not want to be in there. I mean, it seems like a really dark and confusing place. And it's really hard to understand exactly what their philosophies are. If they're a team that's, you know, sometimes he's making these trades like the Laramie Tunsil deal where they're saying we're all in. You know, we we're we're building, we're building around Deshaun Watson, we're we're making a major move, and then you trade away your best player because of future contract demands, you know, and it, it's it's just really bizarre. They're leaking out stuff now that's saying, oh, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't gonna be happy with his contract and he was gonna hold out because he wanted 18 to 20 million dollars. Well, you know what? DeAndre Hopkins deserves but 18 to 20 million dollars. That's right in line with the other contracts for the guys of kind of his, of his stature, of Michael Thomas, of Julio Jones, of Amari Cooper, the deal that he just signed. So it wasn't like he was asking for 25 million dollars. Um, it just, you know, it's just it seems like there's way too much ego involved and a lot of uh and a lack of long-term planning going on. Yeah, Aaron Reese uh, wrote for the Athletic Houston his article is quite simply titled, Why the DeAndre Hopkins Trade is Bill O'Brien's Worst Move Yet. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think it is. It, it's just it's just puzzling. I can't, I, I don't understand how they didn't get a first round pick back for him, especially with uh, what Diggs, what they got back in return for Diggs. He got a first rounder back for him. So how did they not get that back for one of the best receivers in the league? Um Aaron in his story writes, in the past two seasons while playing with Watson, Hopkins ranked second in first down catches, fifth in receptions, and tied for fifth in touchdown catches. In 2018, according to PFF, he did not drop the pass. So to give, you know, to, to get rid of that guy, what is that, what message does that send to Deshaun Watson? Like that, it's just crazy that, that they're doing this. And especially with the young quarterback that they have, they've been good enough. You know, they've been in the playoffs consistently enough that division, is weak and they they can they've been successful at getting into the playoffs at least they haven't been able to get over the hump but you would think you would continue to build the team as it is and, and improve positions of need and now they just created a huge position of need now they have the receiver position they need to figure out how to fill it because will fuller's been hurt pretty much constantly so they're going to need to figure something out they had one of the best ones and now they just got rid of him for you know something that is not a great situation a, a huge contract a player like that hasn't played at his best in a long time so it's just very very confusing it's a, a terrible move all around so i agree with your f grade Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it doesn't look any better a couple days later if anything no, it looks not at worse all. it was worse yeah um you know it, it immediately looked worse once we saw the stefan Diggs compensation yeah. and what and what the vikings were able to get back so yeah it doesn't make a lot of tennis it doesn't make any sense i should say i was gonna say a lot of sense but it doesn't make any sense at all um so that's our list who did we miss if you uh if you have issues with our list if there's somebody that we missed come comment at the athletic nfl um we've also been posting a lot of breaking news podcast with our beat writer network from um around our entire you know, all across the country with all of our different beats as the big deals have been happening. Um, but Amy, since this is our Power Rankings podcast, and we are going to try to stick a little bit to our format, before we sign off, let's do a power up and a power down. Power up, power down. Um, 
would you like to lead us off? Where are you headed today? Sure. Let's see. I'm going to try to stay positive. I think we could all use some positivity <laughs> in our lives right now. So I will go with, um, I'm going to power up to Teddy Bridgewater. I am really Yay. happy for Teddy Bridgewater. He is now the um, quarterback of the Panthers and presumed starting quarterback of the Panthers. Um, you know, we've all watched him have you know, just kind of a difficult road, obviously, with the injury. And, and we've seen the potential that he has, kind of a lot of struggles. And he's kind of just stayed this really positive, great teammate and great guy to watch. And we've seen him with the Saints be relatively successful in his fill in the time that he had to fill in there. Um, and for him to have another chance at starting after all this time and after what he's been through, it's really exciting to see. I'm really, really happy for him. And I'm just, it, it's great. It's really great that he's going to get that opportunity. So power up to Teddy. We're all rooting for you. Um, it's going to be really exciting to watch him start again. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to try to take this in a positive direction as well. Okay. Um, so I'm going to power up to all of the social media directors who run the account, the Twitter accounts from all of the NFL teams, um, for the really creative ways that they got around what was a really stupid rule that the NFL <laughs> put into place by telling the lead, telling all of their teams that they couldn't announce deals because players weren't able to take physicals. So this edict kind of came out, came down, I guess, Tuesday evening or so, you know, a couple hours, 12 hours or so before, um, the league year was supposed to open that told the teams that they can't announce any of these deals, whether that's, you know, the, the trades that have happened, the new free agents deals that they already had agreed to. So what we saw happen on, throughout the day on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon and into Thursday morning was some ridiculously creative tweets that were coming on. And, you know, what they were doing were citing a lot of media reports and they were so effective at it. Um, the best one, my favorite one that I saw was the Chargers, um, a, a tweet from the Chargers in which they kind of announced without announcing the Chris Harris Jr. cornerback signing. Make sure you go check out the at Chargers um, Twitter account because I just can't even do it justice. It's like a cat Googling and being really freaked out by finding out what's happening on Twitter by seeing the news reports. It's just, it's it's amazing. But they did such a good job in pointing out how ridiculous this rule was that the NFL put in place that by Thursday afternoon, the NFL had rolled it back and told teams that they are allowed to announce their deals using some, you know, contingent language of saying that, you know, de deals have been agreed to, but pending physicals, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I've had a lot of issues with the fact that the league kind of pushed ahead with the league year, with there being such uncertainty and having to, uh, you know, they've had to put all these contingencies in places and there's no free agent visits allowed and they don't really know exactly what's going on with physicals and it's going to hold up a lot of stuff. And I think it's pretty tone deaf. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of messages from people around the league, um, either working for teams or agents saying that they also believe that it's tone deaf and from, you know, friends who work in other industries going, what is going on with the NFL? But they have moved ahead. It's been a nice distraction for some people, I think, even though it has been very jarring to kind of have one Twitter timeline of free agent deals and then everything else being um, coronavirus related and like the very real stuff that our country is dealing with right now. Um, but so I'll give uh, I'm going to give my thumbs up to these very creative people for dealing, doing the best with a bad situation um, uh, overall. So, uh, so there we go. That ha that that should wrap us up today. Make sure you're following the Athletic for all of our updated free agent news. I think I just checked our um, free agent tag, and we have 100 more than 150 stories posted um, about free agency <laughs> over the last couple of days. So there's a ton of content. We know you're stuck at home. So make sure you're reading all that stuff and um, we'll, we'll be back with more power rankings podcast when, uh, when the news, uh, when the news fits it. 
Yeah. All right, everyone, stay safe um, and stay home. And we'll try to entertain you the best we can in the meantime. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.